I'm Matt Booker. I'm Dave Laird. And I'm Rachel Laird. And I'm Amy Pelche. And we're playing Politeness Roulette in the Great Concavity. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. So, um, so, hey, Matt Booker, uh, we're back for episode 19 with some very special guests. Uh, as you can tell, one of them is my wife, Rachel, and the other one is Amy Peltier, her, one of her very best friends in the world. And unfortunately, we, uh, we couldn't connect with you for the conversation. So it's going to be kind of like uh, one of those conference interview type ones from, from our previous episode. Yeah, I really wish that I could have been there for that. It's a really great conversation, and I'm just really sad that I could not be yeah. there to be part of it. Yeah. But it's uh, it's a fantastic conversation, actually. Oh, good. I'm glad you I'm glad you enjoyed it and uh, found some found some good stuff in it. Uh, we don't want to spoil too much, so we'll kind of just let we'll let it speak for itself, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Cool. All right. But we will do a few housekeeping things at the start of the episode here, and then uh, then we'll set you into into that conversation. So uh, first of all, Matt, I guess a cool thing to talk about is that we just finished our very first contest on the Great Concavity, and right. it, we announced a, a winner. It was it was a picture which you can still <laughs> see on our website, and we link to it on Facebook and yep. on Twitter Instagram. and Instagram. And yep, all of the things. And you were in that picture? I was, yeah. I was, uh, as well as many of our guests from episode 17 from the conference, because we were all like staying in a big house together, and it was absolute riot. Um, so our winner was, uh, so it was a caption contest for that photo where we reenacted Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper, but we were at Dairy Queen, so we had like blizzards and, and ice cream treats instead of like, you know, a meal. And uh, so you guys are listeners. A lot of you sent in some fantastic uh, entries for captioning that photo. And we want to thank everyone who did that and who participated. Had a great time uh, just laughing at, at everything that came in. Uh, but we had a winner and, uh, and we sent him a full set of Chris Ayers uh, Infinite Jest film posters. And Chris Ayers, who's been on our show a couple of times, generously donated those. So, so thanks again, Chris, for that. And our winner was John Spear from Montana, and uh, he goes by Theoretical Dentist on Twitter and Instagram. And uh, Matt, what was his caption? His caption says, although, of course, you end up becoming the Lord's 12, <laughs> which I thought was perfect. So good. Yeah, you really nailed it there, John. And um, we did we did have so many good entries that it was really hard for us to, to pick, you know, a, like a lone winner. Um, so we're going to go through some of our other favorites that came in too, uh, I think would be, would be appropriate. Um, would you say? Yeah. Yeah. There, there was a bunch of good entries. I mean, I would say we got dozens upon dozens Mm -hmm. of, of good entries and most, most of them were like, um, theoretical dentist and that they combined the Wallace element with the religious element, which, uh, somehow has kind of become a theme on our show is yeah. like Wallace and religion kind of, we didn't plan that, but no, it just, we, didn't. It, we just keep coming back to it. Yeah. 
And um, one of my favorites was Lisa Holton. Yeah. And she said, take this. It is both my flesh and not. I thought yeah. that was great. <laughs> so good. It's yeah. And Lisa, of course, was on episode 17. Right. She was at the, from conference. the conference. And... Yeah. Who spoke about the Gothic in Infinite Jest. Yeah, that was a great one. Another awesome one, which was like, oh, man, it's so close, was Rudy Kushner. Uh, Iscariot to Jesus. Te achidere possent sed te edere non possent nefas est. Which, uh, Matt, what's the Latin translation in it Infinite Jest? They, they can kill you, but the politics of eating you are somewhat dicier. <laughs> yeah, the legalities of, legalities eating, of eating you are somewhat dicier. Which, yeah. in the context of, uh, of communion and the Last Supper, is absolutely hilarious. So, yeah, Jesus, they can kill you, but the legalities of eating your flesh, which is <laughs> both flesh and not, <laughs> are much dicier. <laughs> so some really clever uh, combinations of, of Wallace and stuff with with the religious stuff. So well done, Lisa and Rudy. Sorry, yeah. sorry you didn't get the posters, but top shelf stuff right there. That one was good. And also one of the um, founders of the website, The Millions, C. Max McGee, he oh, wrote yeah. in with one, it was a reference to Infinite Jest <laughs> about how the milk was powdered. Yeah. He's like, I'm telling you, man, it's powdered milk. Yeah, this milk is powdered. <laughs> Which, you know, here's a, here's a little fun fact is that when I was growing up for about a year, my dad owned a Dairy Queen. Really? Yeah. You're the luckiest kid on the block, man. And that was during the time where Dairy Queen had a partnership a branding partnership with like Dennis the Menace. Oh yeah. Those were good days. And I, I love those days. So we brought home a lot of like <laughs> popsicles and ice cream and stuff that was Dennis the Menace branded. But I'm telling you, man, the little known secret about their ice cream is like, <laughs> is just like comes in a bag. Yeah. It's like and oil, just like, like high percentage just, of just oil. Right. They just dump it in like yeah. from a, a liquid bag. <laughs> Um, yeah, it's unsettling. Also, Amy Peltier on this episode, she actually used to be, she used to like manage a Dairy Queen back like in her teen years. So she yes. would like tell us stories like that too about the the ingredients of your ice cream, which nevertheless are still delicious, you know, if you can get over that mental hurdle. But <laughs> another creepy thing is that it was very similar looking to the gravy that was served. Oh, no. <laughs> It was served with like the toast and the, uh, and the chicken biscuits. fingers. Oh, yeah. that's bad. Yeah. It was like the gravy or ice cream is like, just depends on how much <laughs> you freeze it. Oh, that's quite abject to think about. So. <laughs> but I, I still, to this day, I love me some Dairy Queen. Oh man. It's so good. Um, you guys in the, in the States had Snickers blizzards forever and yes. we, di- we didn't have those in Canada. So anytime I go down to Washington, I'll make a pretty like strong case for us going to a Dairy Queen <laughs> drive through to get Snickers blizzards. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> uh, two other really good entries we had. Uh, one was from Christina Wilson and, and her caption was good old Leon Ardo da Vinci Leonardo in, in brackets, <laughs> which is good. And then Rob Boyce, the da Vinci cone. That was good. Nice yeah. Dan Brown reference there. So thanks again to everyone who submitted that was fun. I hope we get to do another contest in the future, Matt. We'll we'll keep that in mind. Send us your ideas if you have contest ideas that we can do. Absolutely. And I, I want to send a special shout out back to Christina Wilson and that she and I go way back. Oh, really? Cool. I still consider her. She's one of my good friends. Oh, so. right. 
much love to Christina if you're listening. <laughs> That's awesome. Cool. And uh, speaking of shout outs, is that is that a word that I mean, I hear a lot of podcasters say oh, shout that's, out. That's a true thing. That's a radio yeah. thing. Yeah. So we have some of those if you like that term. Uh, a few people that have that have been like emailing us and, and connecting a lot with us on Twitter and stuff lately. Uh, we always love that. Uh, so what's up to E.F. Bartlam, who we've had a lot of back and forth lately about uh, some interesting stuff. Uh, uh, someone on Twitter named Sandoval. Her name's Becky. She's from Portland. I've learned that from her Instagram. Her and I have been talking about uh, music quite a bit uh, through, through Twitter, particularly a band called Kishi Bashi. Hmm. And then, and then, so the guy from Kishi Bashi has played in a band called Of Montreal. Oh, of course, yeah. Who, yeah, and so Kevin Barnes, who's the front man of that band, has talked about how he's a fan of David Foster Wallace. So we were back and forth about that. So that was cool. And then we got a really cool series of emails from Carol Lee Wolf as well. Uh, well that also included Rob Short too. I kind of went overboard on replying to Carol Lee, <laughs> and um, just kind of gave my whole life story out there but yeah that was great i love that um you know she had she had some great emails of her own and yeah. just special shout out to Kara lee wolf yeah totally uh and then we had some some good uh interaction with jonah stutz as well on email Absolutely. And, and through that matt i learned that you have met quite a few interesting people face to face which i did not know about so I knew that you had met David Foster Wallace before in person several times. And then you told me recently that you met Don DeLillo in person one time and my brain exploded. Um, and like Don, if you're somehow miraculously listening to this, we would love to have you as a guest on the show. That would be like the ultimate dream come true. <laughs> yeah, that, that would be true. Short of like having the ghost of David Foster Wallace come on and talk. And so you've also met Jacques Derrida. Yeah, and the thing is, Derrida and you know Wallace and Updike, the, a lot of these people were heroes of mine, and they're now gone, mm -hmm. and so that that makes it a little more poignant for me. And I feel old when I talk about it. <laughs> yeah, but, the Earth is very old, like you know, Lyle, like Lyle yeah. says. Vonnegut is another one, like Kurt yes. Vonnegut. Yeah, I, I met him in Denver. Oh, cool. And my older brother was with me on almost all of these occasions where mm -hmm. we usually at a university got to spend a day with someone. Hmm. Um, but there were some other writers and people involved then that I did get to meet and spend time with. Yeah. Um, that I, I still treasure those times. Mm -hmm. And um, one was also a Nobel Prize winner who is gone now uh, named Czeslaw Milos. Hmm. And he won the Nobel Prize for Literature in 1980. Hmm. And cool. he was just a phenomenal presence. Uh, I got to spend a day with him and kind of ferry him around <laughs> Denver. Cool. Um, so there, I, you're right in that I feel really old just that I've got to meet a lot of people. <laughs> but um, you're not even 40 yet, so you're not old. Uh, a few more weeks and I'll be 40. <laughs> so I'm coming, okay, I'm coming up close on that. In three and weeks, you'll be old. Uh, I'm, I'm facing a, uh, that midlife crisis for like the past 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm coming up on 34 uh, in a couple uh, months. And that's like, you know, that's like, okay, now I'm in my mid-30s at 34. And that's not far away from 40. So uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Yeah, it's 
it's tough. And I mean, you, you get to that point where you start realistically thinking there's more days behind you than ahead of you. <laughs> oh, that's bleak. That is bleak. Right. Yeah, but then, yeah. you know, you also think who's my favorite living writer. And I'm for, I mean, most of my adult life, it was David Foster Wallace. Right. And then he's not living. Right. And then, you know, like I say, a few months later, my, my number two was John Updike and then mm-hmm. he died. Mm-hmm. And then I, I really got to go to the bench. Who's three? <laughs> would it be DeLillo? Would, nah, would that be your no, favorite I mean, He was now? never really in my top 10. I mean, Nicholson Baker is up there for me. I really like Nicholson Baker. Huh. Bologna, of course. Bologna sure, is dead. Of course. Yeah. Um, you never you met know, him, I, though. I never met him. <laughs> I, I really didn't read him until after he was dead. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I struggle with that now. Like, it matters very much to me is that person living or not? Mm, yeah. Yeah. It's a different relationship you have with them if they're alive. Right. Yeah. I had a I had a friend. I can't remember who it was. Someone said to me once that they won't they won't read an author unless they've been dead for like a hundred years. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't agree with that at all. <laughs> no, I super don't agree with that. But it's an interesting thought that like their work has to stand the test of time before I'll consider. <laughs> well, you know, and I actually it? knew someone like that who was a very hardcore Catholic. Oh yeah. And they just didn't really want to live in the world of mm. men. And they wanted to live in the world of like God. Interesting. And to them, and they read Flannery was, O'Connor. Cause that's a interesting marriage there between Catholicism well, and literature. I don't think that this is the type of Catholic who would read Flannery <laughs> O'Connor. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, speaking of Catholics who read Flannery O'Connor, Michael O'Connell, who was a guest on our our uh, conference episode, we had a good we had a good lo- long talk about Flannery O'Connor, and he told me about how he went to a Flannery O'Connor conference once, and it was like the weirdest mix of people, but like super rad. It's like all these like quite quite a bit older women that were like yes pretty like sta- like staunch catholics but who were also just like just really edgy and rad <laughs> they were like no bullshit kind of ladies just probably like flannery was yeah and <laughs> one of my mentors in college was a major flannery o'connor scholar and oh, cool. really through her i got you know a major appreciation of flannery o'connor hmm. and i still think she's one of the best writers of the 20th century. Sure. But, you know, back to your point, as I still struggle with like, who is my favorite living writer? Mm-hmm. And to me, it does matter if like this person and I share the same <laughs> breath, you know? Right. Yeah. And I mean, up there for me, another one I, I neglected to mention a minute ago is Ben Lerner. I really like Ben Lerner. Oh yeah. And he only has a, couple of novels a couple of books of poetry mm-hmm. and now a new book of poetry uh essays out now called the hatred of poetry hmm. and it's really hard to say like I, I feel like a cliche even saying sometimes oh i like wallace and bologno and right. <laughs> updike and min Lerner. and it's really cool to say like well I, I will say another one that's not in that mold who's a literary hero of mine who is alive is Maggie Nelson. Hmm. I don't and know. If, if you haven't read Maggie Nelson, I have not. go pick Tell up. Tell me where to go. Go pick up any of her books. Okay. They're all <laughs> phenomenal. Red. Um, 
but especially Bluets and the Argonauts. I think both those books are probably her two best. Okay. Awesome. Um, but so I do have other like non-traditional literary <laughs> heroes. John Grisham. No. <laughs> I've, you've I've read, read a lot everything, of, right? I've read a lot of John Grisham. I've read a lot of Stephen King. I've read a lot of uh, Lawrence Sanders is another like favorite of mine, yeah. but not heroes. Okay. That's cool. I like that you can make that distinction. <laughs> I've read and enjoyed their work, but... but but Not that's where I draw the line. There's a special <laughs> pedestal. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And you also, and then in that email, going back to the Jonah email, you also met Jürgen Habermas, Julia Kristeva, Gayatri Spivak, Edward Said. Like that's, that's a pretty sweet cast of characters, man. It's true. And I, I've also met, um, Letham, Jonathan Letham last year at the Texas John, book. Jonathan Letham and, um, Noam, Chom- Noam Chomsky. Yeah. And um, Cornell West, I spent some time with. So, I mean, I feel like I've met a lot of writers who I respect. Yeah. And th- that's really um, important to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but to me, it's, you know, I'm still the one with a podcast about David Foster Wallace. Yeah. Like he's the only author that you would be willing to commit many hours of your life to talking about on a podcast. Isn't that kind of weird? Yeah. (laughs) I'd probably say the same. I mean, like, I'd happily, you know, if I wasn't doing this podcast, because it takes up enough time, would do a podcast about like contemporary US literature or something. I could do that. But like to to do like a whole podcast dedicated to one author, I think this this would be it for me. Yeah, man, it's just a weird combination of the way it's worked out, like mm. with reputations and sort of my interests yeah. um, in, in, in things. Yeah. But the interest in Wallace and talking about his work is just hasn't waned a bit for me in 20 years. Cool. Yeah, so that's where I'm at. And I really enjoyed this episode. And I know you will, too. Nice. Well, welcome everybody to episode 19, almost at 20, of The Great Concavity. And we're joined today by two very special guests, uh, one of which is my very good friend Amy Peltier, who, Amy, your name has made it on the show before. So I've been told. Yeah. And Rachel, you are married to me. Sure, that's my claim to fame. So, so like, how's that been, I guess, could be a first question. How's been that decade? We'll just pass on that. Yeah, almost, almost a decade. So we're almost at episode 20, and we're almost at a decade. So Of marriage. So we're so, yeah, of marriage. And two so big milestones. Two big milestones coming up pretty soon, guys. <laughs> well, it's great to have you both on. Thanks for taking the time out. We are talking today about what it's like to read Infinite Jest for the first time. Both of you recently completed Reading Infinite Jest, so congratulations. Yes, thank you. And we've had guests on the show before that are like academic experts or artists or uh, various other people who've dealt with Wallace's work and usually Infinite Jest in some significant way. And we also are getting a lot of listeners, it seems like, who are just starting to get into Wallace and are just reading Infinite Jest or just have read Infinite Jest for the first time. So we get to talk about sort of un- what's it like to be a new infinite jest reader and what your experience has been like of that and what what has it signified what has it meant for you and and where does that end up in the end i suppose so 
that's our that's our jam today. Yeah, especially because we're both definitely not experts, yeah. literary or really <laughs> just, otherwise. Just regular folk. <laughs> regular folk, but you guys are you know well educated and like uh, you know middle ish class and have some privilege and things like that. I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So maybe tell us a bit about your educational background and then how you came to reading this book. Amy, you go first. <laughs> All right. Um, my educational background, I have uh, uh, my undergraduate degree in uh, political science and mostly studied gendered uh, poverty and gendered violence. Um, I'm now studying naturopathic medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, I came to this book through you, <laughs> um, as so many have. Um, also, very hesitantly, I didn't tell you I was reading it for 200 plus pages (laughs) out of shame that perhaps I wouldn't finish. Um, Was it your first foray into the novel? It was. Okay. Yeah. So you haven't started and quit in the past. I had not been willing to start (laughs) out of contrariness up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. No one puts Amy in a corner. No one. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so the gendered poverty stuff that you mentioned may have been a theme in Infinite Jest and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, That seems to be an issue that that is uh, significant to both of you, so hmm. wait for that. And Rachel, yourself. <laughs> um, yeah, my educational background is um, I my master's degree is in human security and peace building. Amy and I share a lot of similar interests in kind of social justice and development work, and um, I work in community development around mental health. I also came to this book through you. You don't, you don't say. <laughs> I don't think you you can be married to Dave Laird and not eventually read Infinite Jest. <laughs> yeah, that's a deal breaker. Yeah, there's a, <laughs> a claim that Dave made in his thesis or uh, the Infinite Winter. My in first the Infinite, Infinite Winter, Winter post, post. That's yeah. right. Where he said he didn't feel he could be fully known by someone who had not read the book. Oh, yeah, at I read this that. Point. That was funny. I was like, oh, oh, good thing I'm reading this. <laughs> yeah. Well, good thing I read it. I wasn't True. reading it at that point yet, and I <laughs> said, well, I feel like I know you pretty well, but I guess every little bit helps. Because <laughs> you would edit my posts before I posted them, and then I think your your mom read that, and she has recently read Infinite Jest too, and she was like, oh, that's a pretty bold claim, <laughs> Dave, and you were kind of a little bit nonplussed by that. Well, I thought uh, it was audacious. It's audacious, for sure, but I mean, after you read this book, do you feel like there's something about it that... I don't know, maybe it warms its way into your psyche in some really significant way that you can find solidarity with other people who've read it to be able to talk about it and some of the things that, I mean, maybe it's a bit f- too fresh for that. but Yeah, I mean, I think it's very compelling and it is um, the experience of reading it because I think it, it can be daunting and it can feel like a accomplishment to finish it does unite you in a way with other readers of the book like I think there's a little bit of a solidarity around like <laughs> in suffering we've both you know made this accomplishment literary accomplishment <laughs> by getting through this book um, so I can understand in that way it kind of is like a collective shared mm-hmm. accomplishment that is nice to have with others especially those that you love and have relationship with mm-hmm. yeah cool I'll give you credit for that <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, that's, that's good. That's great. So, uh, Rich, we've talked about on the show how you are really the architect of the Great Concavity podcast. Uh, it was your, you incepted the idea, essentially, mm-hmm. um, on a road trip last year. And you were like, well, if there's no podcast about Wallace, why don't you just make one? And I said, well, I mean, who am I to do that? And you were like, well, 
somebody's got to, so might as well be you. I said, yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And thus... And thus began. And thus began. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so thanks for that, Rach. Sure. We, we appreciate that. <laughs> um, tell us a bit about your guys' sort of literary proclivities. What are some, some of your favorite books, authors? And then um, maybe we can talk about that in relation to Wallace. Um, okay. Well, my favorite, favorite book is History of Love by Nicole Krauss. Yeah. Um, I also really like... Mm, I really like The Convalescent, which I know Rachel just finished. Yeah, by Jessica Anthony. We just yep. talked about that. Uh, we talked about that on a previous episode. Oh, okay. That book, yeah. Briefly. Mm. You love Chris yeah. Adrian? I do love Chris Adrian. He's probably my favorite. Yeah. Children's, Children's Hospital. Hospital. Uh, Jobs Grief. Jobs Grief. Yep. I also really like YA fiction. <laughs> so I Not that there's anything I wrong like with that. I like a broad spectrum of uh, literary delights. Oh, yes. I love a lot of like vampire fiction. Yep. So, you know, being in school and being able to just kind of consume YA too, right? Yeah, easy, I like, like stuff easy is, just drivel. Yeah. It just, mm -hmm. If your brain's working so hard in one way, it's mm -hmm. kind of like binging a television show. It's like watching Vampire Diaries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then there's a bit of gothic stuff in, in your interest area, which, I mean, in Infinite Jest, we have Wraiths. There's James Incandenza's Ghost, yep. which haunts the novel. Um, and so that stuff's not totally foreign in Wallace sure. either. Uh, there's a, there was someone on the last episode I talked to who gave a presentation at the conference about uh, Infinite Jest and the Gothic. Oh. And looking at like cool. various bodily fluids that are abject and cool. many other things in that yeah. related field. Uh, Lisa Holton. So that was cool. Great. How about you, Rach? What's your... Uh, yeah, lots of what similar. What are your um, I also love uh, Nicole Krauss and History of Love course um i love jonathan saffron for um, whose new book we bought today at the bookstore new book i'm excited downtown to, in, in to victoria <laughs> uh chimamanda at negozi and dici adici negozi sorry i'm mixing up the name because i'm flustered about being on the podcast um, <laughs> it's right there on our shelf we can yeah see i can it look over my right shoulder right and be like americana books that i like to read uh, i haven't read it yet uh jeffrey eugenetti's yeah yeah I would say that's Marriage right. plot, very Wallacean stuff in there. Yeah, Middlesex version suicides. Yep. Generally enjoyed everything I've read by him. So Cool. And you've read some Wallace in the past? Some of the nonfiction? I have read some of it. I have read Consider the Lobster. Mm -hmm. um, that's really the only thing I truly read by him, I think, before this. I think maybe every once in a while you would flag one of the short stories or something from a collection, and I, but I don't haven't read actually a complete collection before mm. other than that one. Yeah. And, and Amy, is this your first? Yeah, I had never read anything by Wallace before this. All right. So, you know, dive so you, in head first. That's right. And, and when people ask me, what should I, f you know, if people are interested in Wallace, they're like, what should I read first? I always think, you should read Infinite Jest first. But I know that's kind of a tall order for a lot of people, especially if I know that they're not necessarily inclined towards, like, you know, really massive novels. Um, usually I'll say, like, check out supposedly fun thing where he goes on the cruise ship and or consider the lobster the title essay and that stuff's a bit more bite-size pun intended i guess with the lobster um but um infinite jest i think is like i read it first it was the first thing i read and then because of that i was just like i have to read everything this guy's ever written because it did something so profound in me that i had to get everything mm -hmm. else. Yeah. yeah, I think I'd be much more inclined to read his stuff now. 
yeah. than if I had read his other stuff and then had Infinite Jest on the line. Hmm. I think that would just take forever. Yeah. Hmm. So, cool. I agree. So, um, you read the book quite fast, Amy, like a oh, six yeah. weeks, I, I did. think. Is that um, one of the fastest you've ever heard of? I, it's the, the shortest it's ever taken me is three months, not, and I've read I, it twice in three months. Technically, it really only took me four weeks of like hard reading yeah. with <laughs> I, a 200-page chunk a month and a half before that yeah. took like two weeks. So... Yeah, six weeks, but <laughs> but you you can improve on that time. Four real hard weeks, yeah. four challenging, in depth weeks at Ennet House and the ETA. <laughs> and Rachel, you read over Win- Infinite Winter. I did. I started mm-hmm. a bit late on Infinite Winter. I think I was a couple weeks behind, like two weeks behind or something when they got started. Um, and I finished a week after. I think Infinite Wrap. Infinite Winter wrapped up. So yeah, it was about the however long that period of time was, about mm-hmm. three months or so. Yeah. And you were like totally cruising for the first month. Like you were way ahead of the reading schedule. Yeah, well that was when we went to Nicaragua and so we <laughs> were often in places where there wasn't internet or things to distract me and it was perfect for getting over that initial hump yeah. of do I want to be doing this? This is a lot of work and I'm <laughs> trying to put the pieces together in my mind. Mm-hmm. And I think um, from that point on I was just I was hooked and I had lots of opportunity to read so that helped kind of propel me forward and then when we got back from there I had to do real life again life but it was (laughs) so helpful to have the infinite winter kind of Mm -hmm. schedule to try to keep up with that was really motivating yeah so thanks to Mark Flanagan and the whole Mm -hmm. gang for keeping us going over those few months there and that it's cool um Rich was this your first attempt reading infinite jest it was not it was my not. first attempt. No, no, I did try to read it. I can't remember how many years ago it was now, um, it, but it would have been at least three, probably, right? Like, yeah, maybe it was, more. Maybe it was before you'd started your master's, and um, but you'd read it and you loved it, and I, I knew I wanted to read it, um, and just started and totally didn't grab me. Felt like too much work. And, <laughs> <laughs> how far did uh, you make it? I think I made it to 150 pages, maybe 200, but it was, um, I wasn't going at a pace. I think that was my biggest blocker was like, I feel if people are talking to me about reading this book, it's like, just plow through, just try to get some momentum going so that you kind of can carry that on because then when you're hooked, you're hooked. But at first, if you're going too slow and you're just doing a couple pages like every day, it's not enough to grab you and you just feel like I you're kind of drowning in it, I think. So, yeah, so I, I abandoned ship and and then returned to it years later. Yeah, to my great chagrin, right? Yeah, <laughs> Just absolutely. <laughs> my biggest failing as a wife walking away from a <laughs> I'll take it. I'll Cruel take that <laughs> So what was the TSN turning point for you this time reading it? Where, like, what at what point did you feel like, okay, the hooks are in and they're in deep enough that I'm going to finish this thing out? Do you, do you remember a moment where that happened for you guys? I think getting to page, what is it, 223, 224? 223 is the list of subsidized time, yeah. It just finally felt like I can do this. I can understand <laughs> what's happening. Like, I already at that point, I think I was pretty into it, but I was still confused by, like where the pieces were fitting together in the Mm -hmm. timeline and then seeing that I didn't think he was ever going to give us that sweet little treat (laughs) so that was when I knew I could I could make it yeah did you find yourself flipping backwards a little bit yeah like oh now I I can try and puzzle through yeah okay year of glad is the first thing okay so that's last and then 
you know, year of depend adult undergarment seems to be the main action, but yeah. there's all these little moments in between that are what's BS nineteen sixty? Like, oh okay, before or subsidized time. Yeah, okay, yeah, all that. Yeah. So that was kind of the click for you. Yeah. Rach, how about for you this time? Yeah, people talk about that being the point where it clicks for them, but for me, I don't think that that was my biggest struggle was the timeline. Mm. I I actually found I didn't even really refer back to it that much Mm. because, and maybe I would on a second read. I think, I don't know if I could say what page or what part. I think I found um, Don Gately to be the most compelling character for, Mm. like, the one I was most interested in. So when they started revisiting him or he started revisiting him in a more regular way, I think that was, for me, like, what pulled me in a bit more. Because it sort of... And I may be piecing this together wrong because it's been a few months, but it was kind of like they get, like his beginning of his story with the break-in and everything like that. But then you didn't really see much of Don for a while yeah. after that. And I think when that started, when he started to come back into the, the story, I was more interested in getting to his parts of the book. But mm-hmm. then everything else kind of started to become more interesting for me as well. Right, yeah. Very cool. So you've come to the end of this book. The am- the ending is kind of ambiguous, perhaps. How did you guys process the final page of Don Gately out on the freezing sand and the tide way out? Like, at that moment, were you just like, that's a really satisfying ending? Were you like, what the hell? What am I supposed to make of that? <laughs> yeah, I... I think I was prepared in that I had I knew enough to know it wasn't going to be a, like all the pieces coming together in a really clean way. So I would have been more disappointed had I that been what I was expecting because it seemed so clear that it was building in that way. Like mm-hmm. the storylines were starting to come together, characters were starting to come this close to meeting each other, right. and um, but I wasn't expecting that. So I think I, I was not as disappointed and. Um, so I, I was I was satisfied with the ending. I think um, I was left feeling a little bit like I wanted to know how Gately got from that rock bottom mm-hmm. to where we when we see him, you know, a year or so later, like at Ennett House and mm-hmm. as a staffer, and what that initial recovery looked like. Even though we see glimpses of it throughout, but right. kind of what's like that immediate journey between <laughs> the beach and. But um, well, I was fine with the ending. Yeah. So you read that moment is kind of his rock bottom and then that's his transition point into yeah. recovery and in, in, mm-hmm. in, in that house cool yeah I wasn't disappointed by it either I didn't expect it to, to fit together as like the page numbers got higher and it just you could see you didn't have enough space <laughs> yeah. anymore like this there's no way this is coming together mm-hmm. I have lots and lots of questions and I have so many things that I want to know what happened but because it was so big it just felt like it would be it would do the whole book a disservice if it had cleaned itself up nicely at the end like it's mm-hmm. just this massive snapshot in these people's lives and it doesn't finish so it sh- the book shouldn't kind of finish mm-hmm. so yeah it didn't bother me at all because life is kind of that way in yeah. a sense mm-hmm. i mean it ends but like you have a long time sometimes <laughs> yeah before that and there was, yeah, it keeps <laughs> on, their story keeps going it keeps on going yeah. and it keeps being messy and mm-hmm. yeah you know broken and yeah. then redeemed and all these different things will happen over the span of someone's life and so for getting this shot it, you know it doesn't mean that everything's gonna it's, it's just a, it's a snapshot yeah yeah you know, that, yeah a moment in time mm-hmm. i wanted more november tennis academy <laughs> yeah you love <laughs> oh, okay so <laughs> let's talk about favorite characters maybe then <laughs> michael pemulus mike 
the Peemster. Yeah. Nobody's so, fool. Oh, so funny. Fears the dealer's Brutus, the eater of cheese, <laughs> the rat. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big Peemster fan as well. Yeah. He's the best. He's so funny. Everything he did, I laughed so hard. I still, every time I think about... <laughs> every time I think about the Visine urine dispensers, mm-hmm. I just think it's so funny. Mario just walking around videotaping him. Just, yeah, he's like, we were talking the other day about how he's so paranoid of like people phone Please calling. Please commit a crime. Please commit a crime. Oh, goodness me. All that stuff. But then he's like fine with Mario like filming him like dispensing these so urine funny. samples. I think the reason is because it says that, like, he knows that no one else will see this footage except for Mario yeah. himself. Yeah. So I think he's too, like. Because people just are like. <laughs> Mario is kind of like, he's so, I think, beloved in a way, but also invisible in so many ways. Mm-hmm. And I think people don't, like, almost do him a disservice by, like, thinking he's insignificant, you know, or something like that. Like, I just think, yeah, it's like, oh, it was inconsequential that Mario yeah. is filming this. Right. Like, nothing will come of it or yeah. whatever else, right? Yeah. But hmm. really, like, <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> <laughs> on episode 13, uh, we had Rob Short, a friend of ours, on the show. He's a Wallace scholar from Florida. And his intro to the show was, you're in trouble, you're in luck. This is the great concavity. So good. Yeah. <laughs> so good. And a friend of mine made that joke back in, like, I don't know, 1999 or something. But I'm pretty sure he had never read this book. So I wonder if he independently thought of you're in luck with a U. Because uh, it was in the context of like getting stung by a jellyfish. Mm, it's like, yeah. oh, you have to pee? You're yeah. in luck. <laughs> yeah. It's nice. good. So I don't know how those two things relate to each I'm other. I'm sure many a teenage boy has thought of that joke. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, does Wallace have a lot of kind of teenage boy humor in this book, would you say? I think he nails some of it with the <laughs> the Tennis Academy kids, as Amy called them, the little shits. Oh, such little fuckers. Am I allowed to say that here? Yeah, yeah. We can put a little red E okay. next to each episode if we like, if we have explicit that content. That moment about them and the um, eschaton debacle and just everything they do. Mm-hmm. The, when poor... Who's it? Orthos Stice Ortho gets Stice, his the tongue stuck to the oh, his forehead. To the oh, yeah, his forehead yeah. and nobody cares. <laughs> Just little bastards. Yeah. Just like get some warm water. I know. Why isn't anyone right. getting some warm water? Yeah, that's that's what just I kept rip thinking. Rip it off. Too. Yeah. Terrible Hal's idea. just behind him, like Heimlich style, like just ready to reef his forehead skin off, and like that is such a a short sighted yeah. adolescent like behavioral thing yeah. to do like, I don't I, want to say exclusively boy but like it is like an yes. adolescent boy thing to be like we'll just rip your forehead <laughs> way. Like, it'll toughen you up you know, like, water and we'll just yeah. frost it <laughs> oh man yeah truly okay so we got some kids at Anna House who are standout any so Rachel you mentioned Don Gately as a yeah as a favorite character yeah uh, what is it about him that particularly was compelling I just I think it's uh, a tough one to answer. I don't know. I found his story to be, I think, just like is very real. This idea of like someone who has gone through a lot of shit and then has hit his rock bottom at some point and is trying to figure out how to move forward from there in a way that's authentic and honest. And mm-hmm. I think like this genuine kind of this. real struggle between like his desire to truly help people and help others but kind of not giving himself enough credit in that desire and not always viewing it as altruistic but this kind of 
self-salvation that he needs to be doing these things in order to continue to his own path of redemption mm-hmm. and I think it's a the way that he viewed himself was very um, it just really rang true for the way I think that we often consider ourselves we sort of discredit the things that are actually really um, upstanding or you know moralistic or whatever about ourselves is like not not true, not honest, mm. but I think actually they are. I don't, there's, I don't know. I'm not, I feel I'm articulating it very well, but I found just his his character to be very interesting, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to know more about where he was going from there, and just yeah. the way that he internally processed things and reflects on things, and mm-hmm. kind of just keeps plodding along. <laughs> yeah, he does definitely plod, doesn't mm-hmm. he? With his big square head. <laughs> <laughs> Amy, um, you came up a couple episodes ago in the context of Avril in Candenza being yeah. at least at about, the, at about the yeah, quarter, halfway point of the novel, being your favorite character so far. And, and the person I was talking to at the time, Samantha Wallace, was like, well, how far into the book is she? <laughs> I was like, she's not done yet. She's like, oh, okay, that makes <laughs> sense. So what is it about Avril that you found? The, the part that yeah, made me like, done. yep, you're the best, um, was the, the part, I think... Um, Someone found a letter she had written, or Orin had a letter she had written, or something to the um, to a the, oh, the, the yeah. grammaticians, like yeah. her, her grammar club, the militant grammarians yes. of Massachusetts. That's it. I was sitting in JJ Bean and I was laughing out loud. So I had to text you right away. I can't. This is the best. This is so funny. So I really like Avril. Um, I really liked her her manners. Like she eats so late and weird. And yes, the Canadian thing. The way she interacts with her children is so strange. I just <laughs> generally found her very kooky and charming. Less so when we found out some of her behaviors with um, John Wayne. <laughs> yeah, sure. But <laughs> or even you know. uh, her half brother. What is the relationship? Charles Tavis. Oh yeah. Yeah, which we're not entirely sure whether it's like a. Richie Margot Tenenbaum situation where they're like half, you know, like adop- what he's right. adopted, um, or if they're actually half, half, or I think it's kind of ambiguous yeah. if I'm remembering correctly. So it's kind of, yeah, it's kind of a bit sketchy though. It's still either it way like. a bit questionable. And yeah. I think there's strong evidence to suggest that he, Charles Taves, is Mario's yes. father, right? Yeah, actually, um, yeah. So. Yeah. There's some weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, she's not but, perfect. But it no also seems like her and Oren have had some kind of tryst as well, which is very yeah, Edipal. Her and Oren have had a tryst? Yeah, there's some stuff in there that, that seems to indicate mother or son. Oren was not my favorite. Oren was not my favorite either, but I didn't pick up on that at all, actually. Yeah, I, I knew that there's he a couple had a subtle falling, moments a falling where, out, but... Yeah. Joelle hints at it. Mm, I think so, yeah. I, Oh, I thought she just kind of hinted at the fact that it was a bizarre relationship, and he sort of... Held her to like this on this pedestal that she Joelle was uncomfortable with, but right. I might I might deserve a second reading just for that alone, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> we'll come back to the idea of second readings uh, at the end. Uh, what do you guys make of of the of Hal's ending? What happens to Hal? This is a big question for a lot like of people. Like Hal's ending, beginning. Well, sure, that could be part of it. So in um, hindsight, my, you now know that the opening scene of Infinite Jest is actually the ending, yeah, right. more or less. Mm-hmm. Um, so what do you make of that scene where he's at the University of Arizona and he has what appears to be some kind of psychological break? Some people read it as a moment of uh, of almost rebirth, that he's now freed from the shackles of like capitalist like academia, all these structures oh, wow. of the of the tennis academy. Uh, one of my supervisors kind of took that reading, and I was like, oh, I don't 
think that's where I'm going with my interpretation of that. But it just made me think a lot of um, the Metamorphosis. You know okay. That short story about the yeah bug? Kafka. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the bug. All I kept thinking into about the, it. Into the bug. <laughs> like this, this nonsense situation that no. Or one... even the convalescent. Yeah, yeah. very very similar there. <laughs> And Wallace writes a fair bit about Kafka in some of his nonfiction essays, right. and he's a big Kafka fan, so he's certainly indebted to him on some levels. So I'm sure there's influence there. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I I just uh, chalked it up to the DMZ. Okay. Yeah. Maybe it's something I ate. The DMZ. I wish they had gotten to that part where they got to try it. I really wanted to see what like, what insanity would ensue when him and Pemulus and what, Al- Alston, who's the other one? Oh, no, Al- uh, Trevor Axford, I think maybe. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm not, if I'm remembering correctly, it's so it's uh, something of a struggle to keep all these characters uh, straight. But now don't see. Okay, so I'm I'm kind of easy on the details, but. What is it that John Wayne has? Is it DMZ or is it something else? That no, he took something him? else. He oh, something when he out. gets on the PA yeah. and yeah. starts. Oh, which I also <laughs> want to hear so I know, bad. I want to know the details of what he was saying so much. Yeah, there's some reference to it. It's quite funny. Yeah, but what was it that they Think, gave him or that he got? Or, or oh, had? man. I don't remember what, okay, but it what wasn't, pharmacological it thing wasn't, it was. I think it was just Reg's stuff. That it was other Pemulus stuff. Was, okay. Yeah, yeah Peplin. Because it was uh, kind of like he'd obviously had he was having some some sort of episode right like yeah. stimulant induced episode or whatever but um it, it, so i just was and i can't quite remember what it was so i was thinking well if he had the same thing that hal had yeah and that was the reading just like the the difference in did someone slip happened. something in his food or his drink i think it is yeah i think it's implied that that's yeah. that he right or that he's snooping through someone's room and he finds something for John Wayne? I think it's implied that he ha- he takes it because he was taking Advil. He had a headache or something. He was trying yeah. to take an Advil. I don't right. think, I think slipped he it found something and he thought it was like... Yeah. Oh, yeah. Or it was in an Advil bottle or something. Right. <laughs> Listeners are going to be like, you guys are... So- Just read the book again, <laughs> I mean, I've read the book. <laughs> I've read the book three times and there's still a lot of details that are, you know, hazy. Yeah. For sure. Uh, the book is very pharmacological, though. There's a lot about drugs, yeah. and uh, which is cool for you, Amy, because you're like it was studying really medicine interesting right now. and really yeah. helpful. Yeah, um, I, what, that made me think of how th- there's probably so many parts of this book that are interesting, and you feel like your educational background helps you under- understand it better. Because there's probably tons of parts yeah. that I kind of just breezed through and didn't even notice of mm-hmm. these like hidden treasures in it. Mm-hmm. But because I understood the pharmacological <laughs> language, it was extra interesting. Yeah. My sister is reading it right now and she's about about a third or two fifths of the way through and she's a nurse. Mm-hmm. So she is like loving all the stuff about the drugs. The beginning especially. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. because she's like, I understand what all of these words mean and I feel really smart. Mm-hmm. I may not get like a lot of other stuff that's going on, but at least I have a leg up in this yeah. department. <laughs> yeah. I did not have a leg up in that no, department. No, me neither. I yeah. like, just scanned and was like, right. this is not registering. I guess not yeah. so this in. If I reference the uh, end notes, I was like, Pfft. I already knew that. <laughs> oh yeah, because you knew like what that what the drug yeah. stood for, or whatever. Like, you didn't need to spell that out for me. <laughs> Gosh, I'm practically a doctor, so yeah. whatever. <laughs> um, so we talked about favorite characters. Were there any characters that were particularly loathsome to you, like oh, least well, favorite? So you mentioned Oren. So 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Old. Uh, I had a real hard time there, with lens. There. There. Real there, hard time. There lens. <laughs> yeah, lens is particularly despicable. I would agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I did though. Interestingly, that Gatley was your favorite. It took me probably. I don't know, at least at the halfway point, like after we'd gotten a fair bit into Gatley's story, mm-hmm. to to start enjoying them. So the first the first one I thought was funny and interesting and like obviously sad, but like where like, he kills Maurice Duplessis by accident, yeah, yeah. accidental manslaughter. Yeah, is what Matt has called it before in the show. That was kooky and interesting. Then his the, probably the next couple chunks of his stuff, I was just kind of like, okay, move along. I want to mm-hmm. get back to the other parts of the story. Mm-hmm. But then I got super into his storyline, so I I wasn't uh, a huge fan of Gatley's until okay. until later. So Gately grew on you, yeah. Eventually, yeah. Gately. That's how I say it. There's an E in there, so I've always heard Gately. I guess so. I made a, actually a small well, argument I've it here <laughs> in my thesis about his name being significant, theologically significant, the gate. Ah, okay. Yeah. So, I don't know if there's others that I particularly dislike. <laughs> oh, I, well, I wasn't a huge fan of um, Johnny Gentle. Okay. Even though he's oh, not in there I a lot. Kenny Crew. <laughs> I think just because he's I... He's pretty funny, right? I feel like in this... <laughs> swinging yeah. that mic. Amy's making a swinging microphone with, like, sassy hips right now. <sighs> just, just his poor leadership and the destruction of the country and yeah. and but surrounding. I just think it's too like close it's to not home his, right now. Fault, it is close to home right now, that's true. I think I'm just kind of, of like, Trump. I don't know, maybe this would be funny if it wasn't mm-hmm. possibly the reality. It come. was written 20 years ago, so so Wallace seems to anticipate some of the, the Trumpism that's happening right now. Yeah, I think I found him stressful. I wasn't yeah. that I disliked yeah. him, I found him stressful. Yeah. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. Um, and you guys also being both Canadian-born citizens, there's a lot of stuff about Canada in this book, mm-hmm. and a lot of stuff about Canada getting really particularly hosed over by Johnny Gentle and his policies. Um, how do you read this book as a Canadian? What are some things that... Was there anything particularly that you found awesome that you could understand particularly well, having lived in this country your whole life? The stuff on the separatist movement was <laughs> oh, interesting because it's not like a history story we have to learn again. So that right. was <laughs> another place where you feel like, oh, I can like can follow along. Yeah. Poor Wallace must have been an expert in everything. Yeah, like I really wonder what his research was for Canada because he's very well versed in in the so regional things. particulars of Canadian mm-hmm. culture. Like Al- the Alberta yeah. terrorists yeah. are like these fundamentalist conservative wackos. Yeah. So funny. And their idea of terrorism yeah. is like blowing up, you know, setting off an explosion on like a farm in Montana. Um, and that is pretty funny to us because yeah. um, we're very close to Alberta and we sort of hold some of Alberta's some aspects of Alberta to be fairly humorous to us as mm-hmm, mm-hmm. people from BC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it was also like, yeah, that is what would happen to Canada. Like, yeah. we <laughs> <laughs> kind of roll over. We're not entirely wrong there. We would try our best to stand up, but at the end of the day, like, we're not a military power. We're traditionally peacemakers, and so Pretty we, small would try population to, base. we would try to appease, we would try to, like, negotiate, <laughs> and then eventually we would be on the wrong side of Great Concavity. Yeah, we'd be on the convexity <laughs> side. Yeah. Yeah. Firmly so. Um, so we talked a little bit at the start about sort of the politics of representation in this novel around uh, how does Wallace portray female characters and how does he portray ethnic characters. Mm-hmm. And so there's some pretty cringy stuff in here. It's a book from 96, so we consider sort of the historical moment that it came out. 
Um, but some of the stuff around, like, I think Clinette Henderson and some of the other African-American characters, like uh, poor Tony and C, the whole Ebonic section mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about early today. Um, I mean, what do you guys, with the backgrounds that you have, how did you respond to some of those things in the book? What do you make of Wallace's takes on them? I think for me it was definitely one of my least favorite components. Like I think I had to kind of have a forgiving eye towards Hmm. parts. And I think part of that is, um, you know, I think like Wallace hits so many things on the nose, like ahead of his time Hmm. uh, in terms of technology and politics and all these other things that get talked about. And so in a way I expect more from him, even though it's a product of the era you know, still, you know, mid nineties, like I, I expect more around representation <laughs> and thoughtfulness around that. So, yeah. um, I would have, I think there's some elements around you, you were writing a character and the characters have certain perspective and lived experience and they will have their own biases and that's fair. And then there's other elements where I think it could have been done in a more thoughtful and, um, considered way. <laughs> I feel like I'm speaking to people Consider. who are going to like burn me at the stake for no, <laughs> you're, you're, actually, you're actually really on point because a book just came out called The Unspeakable Failures of David Foster Wallace by Claire's Hayes Brady and we're going to have her on pretty soon. I've been reading through it uh, and her, one of her chapters is on Wallace and gender and she's got a few bones to pick with, mm-hmm. with how Wallace portrays the female and um, on the read there's a read right now over the summer called Poor York Summer. It's Canadians who are leading it. And uh, Claire just submitted a post the other day and mm. she talked about uh, gender representation in the novel. Oh, I'd love to And that she's that. got some, you know, she's got a few issues with how Wallace writes about the female yeah. <laughs> from the female voice. Yeah, there really aren't any women that you want to root for hmm. at all. Like the way he talks about the girls at the tennis academy is pretty heartbreaking. <laughs> and Kitten um, Plant, the mm-hmm. USS Millicent Kent. Yeah. Not great. Um, and I was then, rooting for Joelle. I, yeah, what about Joelle? Joelle? Is one of my yeah. favorite yeah, I would characters. say she's maybe strongest. Deeply flawed, but um, one of my favorites. And I, I think that's partly because she was one of the only female characters that I could connect with. Like, mm. Avril is kind of, she's there, but she's not a fixture in the same way. Mm-hmm. Like, And she is more of a, a caricature in a way. Like, I don't mm. know. Like, And whereas Joelle, you learn a bit more about her and she's yeah. kind of more fully formed, but still not in the way that of male characters. So I was rooting for her and I wanted mm-hmm. more for Joelle than yeah. what she got. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Joelle wasn't my favorite. Um I think I didn't I didn't not like her, but I didn't feel a sense of like really connecting with the character. Mm. Um mm. But I also didn't love the way they and maybe this is just my reading of it, but I found that all along because she's got her veil on mm-hmm. I feel like all along we were leading up to her actually just being so beautiful that she had to be veiled which is kind of like a, I felt like was a little a little bit simple and not really hmm. but then that's also just my reading of it because I didn't know what actually happened mm-hmm. but um, because all along you see her as this most beautiful person in what did um, Oren call her the, the pigo the, pigo, the yeah, prettiest, prettiest girl, girl of all time of all time yeah. right so she's just this most beautiful person and mm-hmm. that's her like defining quality is her beauty and that's all we really hear about her mm-hmm. um, but I, I totally remember. expected that it was 
it was that she was too beautiful and she was tired of like being viewed through that <laughs> yeah. lens. So it was really interesting mm-hmm. in the end when you realize it was the acid attack or whatever. Yeah, that, like, so, yeah so that part's interesting because Molly Notkin is narrating it, which is mm-hmm. the girl who hosts the party mm-hmm. where Joelle wants to have too much fun. Yeah. Just kind of her last hurrah. Um, but Molly Notkin is maybe not necessarily a reliable narrator. A lot of people yeah. have drawn attention to that. So it's like, and it's kind of mediated through like Oren's telling of this story of the acid. Mm-hmm. So is it, did it seem clear to you guys that that's really what happened? I did or did question it seem like it. possibly not yeah, the case? I, I, took yeah. it at, I took it at face value. Mm-hmm. Pun not intended. Delete that part. But I... Yeah, but I mean that's a good point too. Like it, it's not reliable, so it could have been something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There are so many terrible, terrible scenes of awful parents. Yes, that seems to be a, rec- a recurring motif in the book, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. It's very bleak. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of the critiques around. Just to like, I mean, I would like to read this. It's one of the critiques around female representation. Like, basically, I feel like. I mean, he, Wallace really foc- focuses on, like, the physical for most, like, he dis- is descriptive in certain mm-hmm. ways around each of the, but, you know, Joelle is described as being, like, the prettiest girl ever. Mm-hmm. Avril is strikingly beautiful. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. you know, all the women that Oren dates yes. are beautiful. Helen Steepley. And single mothers. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and single mothers. Yeah, Helen Maybe not so. not so much so, but she, it's also uh, um, a man dressed up. So, yeah, like, uh, is that part of it, too? It's like, he, it's like you have significance or value if you're really beautiful in a way like hmm. I don't know otherwise you're kind of pushed to the side and you're just made mention of like it's hmm. not you're not carrying as much worth or something oh that's I don't interesting know. yeah I haven't thought of that too much before but I just hmm. kind of thought about the fact that, they, they, that really seems to be a fixture for both Avril and Joelle anyways hmm. that's true or a defining characteristic mm-hmm. which is unfortunate because yeah. mm-hmm. You know who I really did like and thought was represented nicely was the, I can't remember her name, but, um... Lateral Alice Moore? No, so I do. I was pretty into that. Um, Gatley's, um, boss at the... Oh, Pat Montesian. Yeah. 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 I liked her a lot. Yeah, she's she's great. Salt the earth people. Yeah. (laughs) Getting the job done. Yeah. With her face kind of half... Yeah. Mm -hmm. Seems like she's got a bit of a rough life going on for herself, Mm -hmm. but... Yeah. But a cool car. Cool car. Pretty cool car. (laughs) (laughs) I liked her too. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Um, Is there any percentage of you guys that wants to read this book again? Oh, yeah. I definitely want to read it again. Yeah. Yeah, I plan to read it again for sure. You do? Yeah. Yeah. And next time will be, I think, easier on a timeline because, well, obviously I read it really quickly because of being out of school, but um, reading it a second time won't feel... Like you have to read it quite as quickly. I think the mm-hmm. the little treasures that you don't notice the first time mm-hmm. because you are still trying to figure out who these characters are and what's yeah. going on, um, those will come regardless. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll be it would be yeah very easy to read just as a casual train read. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I totally agree. Yeah. Yeah. I probably won't read it again for a year at, at least. Like I think I want to give some space for it. Yeah. Um, but I look forward to revisiting it, which yeah. 
so rarely happens with books, especially one that you think, yeah. oh, good God, if I can get through yeah. this once, I'll be happy with it. <laughs> Accomplished like, something already. You yeah. should get some kind of degree for this yeah. or a certificate. <laughs> Certainly a certificate, if nothing else. Yeah. <laughs> medal? A medal, yes, with a ribbon, yeah. like just a blue a, ribbon. I think we should produce buttons that just say something like, I, I got through. It's like the, I gave blood for the first time. I survived. Yeah, sticker. <laughs> yeah or like, first I time read Disneyland Disneyland for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> do you get through the lineups Great. quicker that way? Yeah. I don't know. I'll tell you, you don't get through the lineups quicker if it's right. your birthday. You don't? No. Oh, but that's... every employee wishes you happy birthday all day. Uh, how do they how know? Because you wear a pin that says, oh, I'm Amy, it's my birthday. Oh, <laughs> nice. I think the Great Concavity should start producing those buttons. You can. Oh, that's a good idea. We could get um, our friend Chris Ayers to make them. Yeah. Because uh, he's in the, he's made buttons for... I read it for the chest. People can write in and say, I've successfully completed it, and you just take them at their word. Or ask them a few quiz questions. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. We can have like a, a poll, an online, yeah. yeah. I can ru- I can run a, a filter for them and make sure mm-hmm. they've actually done it, yeah. and then we'll send them a button. Yeah. That's not a bad idea. Okay. Um, Chris Ayers, our friend, recently, uh, have you guys seen the Shia LaBeouf Just Do It video mm-hmm. online, which has a funny backstory? And I thought it'd be amazing if you could have, if there could be infinite jest in the background of that. And so I texted him and I was like, hey, you know how to do these kinds of internet <laughs> things. Could you put infinite jest in the background? And later that day or the next day, he sent me a link with Shia LaBeouf, just do it. And we posted it on our Instagram and stuff. So yeah, I think yeah. you have seen that video. It's I would have really enjoyed it at about page like 110. Yeah, would have been yeah, really that would have given you a good, good <laughs> kick in the pants. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. Have you guys read some books since Infinite Jest? And I love asking people this question because, in my experience, reading it for the first time, I felt like books that I read after were just very lackluster just in comparison to this really huge universe that I just kind of traversed through. Um, what has it been like reading books since? Have you had a similar experience or do you just kind of chalk it up to like, oh, they're just doing different things, so. It took me a few books, like I read a handful. I finished in May, so I've read some books since mm-hmm. then. I think I read um, Us Conductors and um, All the Light We Cannot See. Uh, both of which I don't know if before reading Infinite Jest I would have been that into anyways, but I felt very meh about them. <laughs> like, it definitely felt lack. Not like paying out on those authors or anything, but like... Sure, just you had... want to edit that part out? <laughs> no, no. Like, I'm sure they're not going to be offended that <laughs> Rachel Air from Canada didn't really like them that much. They both did very well, so... Um, and then I think after reading those two, I read... Um, yeah, Jesse's Homegoing, uh, which is uh, which was new out, I think, in June, and mm-hmm. I loved that. That was sort of you my did, yeah. like reconnection into okay, there can be books after Infinite Jest <laughs> that are incredibly different, but yeah. um, but just super invigorating to read. And hmm. and then since then, I've I've had some hit and misses, but I did just read The Convalescent, which was awesome and uh, very engaging. Mm-hmm. And I've just finished. Uh, a Spanish language novel has been translated to English um, called Signs Preceding the End of the World and I think the author is Yuri Herrera if I'm remembering correctly yeah. and so uh, that was very good as well very brief but um, but really good so yeah it's there is literary life after Infinite Jest but it <laughs> feels like it took a little while to <laughs> get there <laughs> that's a nice way to put it <laughs> yeah I found kind of kind of the same thing but I don't know if before Infinite Jest, if I would have read 
a book and really thought that deeply about like what is this doing on a literary level like mm. um so i don't know if i would have read these books in an entirely different way um before or if i would have not liked them anyways like i don't really know but mm. yeah i read and nothing i read after i didn't like um but I read Americana, which I really enjoyed, but maybe I would have liked it more. I don't know. Um, but then I also read, like, Girl on a Train, which I didn't like. Um, read the new Harry Potter book. I read a 6th century Brit- British historical fiction, which I loved. Like, uh-huh. um, I'm now reading science fiction about a used bookstore. Like, there's... Oh, yeah, the Penumbras. Yeah. Right. Um, Dr. Penumbras. Mr. Penumbras 24-hour bookstore. Mr. Which Penumbra. Is- very charming, um, but not uh, d- doesn't challenge me. Um, so, <laughs> In the same literary ways. That <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't know um, if I'm still maybe, because I only finished two weeks ago, three weeks ago, like not very long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe I'm still readjusting to mm-hmm. the world after. of books um, <laughs> as of... You know, two days from now, a world of books will consist only of medical textbooks again. So, mm-hmm. hopefully, it's certainly nice to be able to like read a book and know. Like, I read Science Pretending in the World on like a short flight. You know, like oh, know. like an, an just, hour and a half. Or yeah, yeah, and just be like, I can finish this in a week. Like, yeah. and enjoy it and not have all the daunting work that's There's ahead of you within the chest. <laughs> it is nice to have that sure. as a relief. Yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But it is weird feeling like, well, I've read Infinite Jest, which is like the work of literature for the 20th century, I feel like. So then like, what do I do now? (laughs) Yeah. I'm not reading Anna Karenina. I'm not. I'm not reading War and Peace. (laughs) Tolstoy's not going to scratch the right itch for you. So So I'm lost. I'm lost in the literary world. Dave has Mm. suggested the instructions by uh, Adam Levin. Adam Levin. It's that big white one over there. It's massive as well. Also hefty, yeah. It's yeah. not nearly as dense or challenging, I would say, as Infinite Jest, like the t- in terms of timeline and things like that. It, it demands less of you, but it is profoundly entertaining and hilarious, and I love it. It's my probably my second favorite novel. I, I feel say. like you've made a lot of literary jokes that no one understands except for you about that book. Oh, yeah, loads. Okay. Tons like, I tons. think, like... You know, anyone who is living in Victoria wants to like book our Wi-Fi. You can basically just try different words from the instructions yeah, I, or I image. It out today. I broke your Wi-Fi today. Out. Did you really? Yeah. You did. Oh yeah, because our um, our network name is We Damage We, which is the instructions which is from the instructions, yeah. and our password is Howling Phantoms. Yeah. Although now we have to change it because you just put no, it on the... no one's gonna find it. And the if neighbors you do, aren't listening yeah. to this podcast. Congratulations. Let's hang out and have a beer or something. Come on. Sure. In, yeah. <laughs> That's so true. So you guys have heard me talk about David Foster Wallace for about a decade and just not really shut up about him, mm-hmm. yes. which I'm sure has been annoying. Um, <laughs> but hopefully now you can understand a little bit of my obsession. Would you guys say that this that this book lives up to the hype that I've hyped it to or approaches Amazingly, the hype? Amazingly, yes. Yeah. Like, I really didn't expect it to. Success. I. That's, that's, why you, that's why I didn't tell you for the first yeah. 250 right, pages yeah. or so, because I thought, like, 
I am not going to be the person that reads the book you love, hates it, and then tells you how much I hate it. Like, that just feels very mean. And so it's like, why would you spend three years doing a master's on this book? Yeah. Oh, your life's work? Oh, I thought, I think it's garbage. Um, so, no, so I didn't want to tell you. Um, but by the time I got to the point where I knew I was going to finish, mm-hmm. I was pretty invested. Um, so, yeah, I would say it actually does live up to a decade of <laughs> jokes I didn't understand. Sure. And journal publishings and things, various things you did. So. Yeah, absolutely. I definitely feel like anyone who's kind of tells me they're thinking of reading this book now, I'm like, absolutely do it. Like, mm-hmm. it's so worth it. It does live up to it. And also just, you know, know what you're getting yourself into. Like, don't think it's going to be a breeze. Yeah. So you wouldn't recommend it to, like, the casual YA fiction only Reader. Well, let's not knock only. YA. Only. I said only. I'm qualifying <laughs> I, that think, I think I would, I wouldn't, who I wouldn't recommend it to is someone who loves to just be carried along by plot mm. and yes. kind of like, um, you know, candy narrative, like yeah. sort of, you know, like it's yeah. sort of just reading to be purely entertained and this is not that kind of a book. And so... I think if you want to read it, that's amazing. And then just know that you're going to have to work at it for a while and that it will, it does reward. Like I always tell people it, it's the most rewarding read, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. it's because you work for it that it's rewarding. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I really like the intro from the version I had. It has a Dave Eggers mm-hmm. intro and he says that this book will make you a better reader. Mm-hmm. And when I read that, I was really excited to read the book. Also wasn't really sure how he meant that um, after finishing I think it makes a lot more sense mm-hmm. so in what way I think I read books in an entirely different way now I think I, oh. I read them probably paying attention to things I wouldn't have paid attention to um, noticing literary decisions the author makes mm. um, I would always have noticed grammar but I think I maybe <laughs> you're noticed, a bit of a snoot I am definitely a grammar snoot you're real Avril <laughs> I, I love an Oxford comma oh, I have man. no patience babysit me for an Oxford, <laughs> Oxford comma done in error yeah you gotta you gotta have that you gotta comma, have guys. them it just alleviates so much ambiguity mm-hmm. that and M dash I love a, a good oh, well used yeah. M dash totally yeah you're not but, a fan of brackets either in academic writing I do not like brackets the parentheses no parentheses parenthetical remarks or I know you do like them I do like them and when Amy edits my my paper she takes them all out which which is makes me better for it you just have to go back and put them back no I don't (laughs) I don't it's laziness on my part I think that puts them in there in the first place so it's good make me a better writer nice thanks for that Amy that's good (laughs) Uh, any final thoughts on Infinite Jest David Foster Wallace where you go from here in the Wallace canon any any plans to read anything else by him? You know, I actually don't have plans to read anything else by him. Everything and more. A book about infinity. Yeah, totally. Is that another one? <laughs> Maybe it the, the <laughs> rap book? What is that Signifying one? Rappers. Signifying rappers. Yeah, that, yeah. that one's fun. Yeah. I don't want to read a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Mm-hmm. Mostly because I love cruises. <laughs> yeah, don't read it. I feel like I don't need that ruined for me. Thanks, Wallace. But I would like to read maybe... Um, Sort of the lobster. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have any interest in The Pale King. I yeah, mean, you've said that. Yeah, and my... Your mom read it recently. My mom read it before she read Infinite Jest, yes. if I remember correctly. That's and right. just right before. And um, and she certainly liked Infinite Jest better. I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of people do. But um, she really enjoyed 
the Pale King too, and mm. thought he nailed the tedium of <laughs> everyday the life. Adult and work the life. adult work life. <laughs> and she's been at it um, a bit longer than we have. And I guess I just don't feel like I need to have look at the tedium. Remind her of the tedium ahead of you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So no, I, I don't know. I don't have any plans to, but that doesn't mean I won't. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very cool. Well, thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Amy, for swinging by. Are you going to ask us if we have any advice for first-time readers? Or oh, yeah. That's, <laughs> well, that could be a final thought. You can edit around Do this. Do you have? <laughs> no, I won't. I won't. Please this don't do. Great. You have to. This is a glimpse into our marriage. No. <laughs> uh, do you have any advice for first-time readers? Oh, boy. Uh, I think following a reading schedule, probably really good. Yeah. I didn't because uh, I had the luxury of not needing to. Um, but I... Certainly, in when I read the first 150 or so pages, well before finishing the mm-hmm. rest, um, I was trying to follow infinite the infinite winter schedule, schedule yeah. um, and failing miserably. But at least there was like an effort there, and I felt like okay, I just need to read like another five pages this mm-hmm. week. That's fine; it'll be fine. Um, so I, I think that is very very <laughs> useful if you are trying to get through it. Yeah. Um, also, go back and like find the treasures. Like I didn't give myself as much time I think as I should have to go back and search those things and name connections mm-hmm. and um, those are really fun to see the connections of where stories line up mm-hmm. um, not just being in a rush yeah. to finish yeah. and read all the end notes and read the end notes all yeah. the end notes absolutely I will sure. admit I didn't read all the um, the filmography, the filmography. Yeah. I read it after because oh, I yeah, thought okay. perhaps there'd be yeah. some fun little treats in there yeah. but the first read through because it's only like end note like 30 or something yeah it's, it's pretty, early. pretty early so you don't even really know yeah who the characters are yet or what the timeline right. or like how I don't think you know how um uh James and Condensa died yet mm. um but I read it after and then it was oh yeah, yeah yeah did you go back and reread the the Hal's intro after you finished the book I didn't you didn't no. it's pretty interesting actually I like a few things are like really will jump out to you like, oh okay like, there's that mention of him and Gately in the graveyard mm-hmm. digging up mm-hmm. James Incandens' head. Yeah. Which is, for Hal, at that point, it's a memory. But then later in the book, um, Gately has, a, like, a dream or a vision but, about that, yeah. which would, for at that point, would be in his future. Yeah. And then John Wayne's there in a mask, and what's going on, so... John Wayne. Do you guys so think weird. so? There's a theory that John Wayne is a member of the AFR, or he's working as like an agent oh, of the so. AFR, um, you know, to work towards getting out the Samas dot and destroy America. Would that mean Avril maybe is also? That is a possible implication, I think. Which is interesting because she was married to James and Candenza, mm-hmm. who made it. So there's a few questions. <laughs> that would be so. pretty badass if that was Avril. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Was there collusion with her and James? Yeah, potentially. I mean, it doesn't seem like that was his no. in, his intent making the film. No. It was mostly to communicate with Hal, mm-hmm. who'd been, you know, escaping to the periphery of life's frame. Yeah. And she seems to do at the end of <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Okay. Sage advice for the first time reader? Uh, I echo Amy, like I, <laughs> about the schedule, I yeah. wrote out the um, Infinite Winter time frame on a piece of paper on a on a piece of like index card like a recipe index card and i use that as my bookmark Mm -hmm. so as i was reading i would tick off at the end of each week the amount like the page number that i should be at so it was like a really nice reminder of how Mm -hmm. i was progressing through the book and what speed i was doing i think what i would do next time is i would write out the um 
the year as well and put that yep. on the index card mm -hmm. and keep that so that you don't have to flip back to it every single mm -hmm. time. You can just keep it as a quick reference. I would probably even end up taking notes of like big events, what year they happened in. So as you read through them mm -hmm. so that you are kind of like when you're like, oh, wait, when was that that, you know, this thing happened? Mm -hmm. You could mm -hmm. sort of see it in like quick reference. Um, for sure, reading all the end notes, like yeah. I, Who was it we were talking to that didn't read the end notes? Well, Dave's mom tried, started reading the book, <laughs> no. and she was like, she did not finish. <laughs> she did not finish. She called it quits pretty early on, but she she said, oh, I I get looked at some of the end notes, and I just thought they were too long, so I didn't read them. And we were, we were with the sister too. We're like, so did you skip the whole like AFR train thing about why they're in wheelchairs? Oh yeah, that doesn't sound familiar. You cannot skip the end notes. Like it's crucial information. It will not make. Story. It's not like a luxury yeah. to read them. It's yeah. a necessity to read them. I can't even imagine yeah. that you would try. So yeah. funny. Yeah. And Good. reading with someone else is really nice too. Like yeah. I read the beginning bit with one friend mm -hmm. um, who's still chugging along. She's gonna, she's going to get there. Yeah. Uh, Tash. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. And then it was really nice. Though Rachel had already finished it, as I was going through, yeah. there were people to talk to about it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, reading it with someone, I think, is very yeah, have helpful. a wingman. Yeah, you've got to have a wingwoman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A wing person. Wing person. Sure. Yeah. Let's not be binary here. Yeah. <laughs> a wing individual. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Awesome. Well, guys, thank you so much for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you about what it's like to read this book for the first time. And um, any... any uh, I mean, you're not really on the, the social media things all that much, so. No, you can't find you me You can find internet. me nowhere. <laughs> you will, I will not be found. Or we are unsearchable on the internet, basically. Yes. Cool. cool. On LinkedIn or something. So if they want to yeah. get in touch with you. Yeah, yeah, find me on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> or you can, uh, like, send an email to us at concavityshow at gmail.com and, and be like, hey, Dave, pass on this message to Rachel or Amy or both. Sure, and, as long as they're nice. You guys are usually close by. We've never had, like, a, a, like a mad or... Someone getting mad about your interpretation. There's of never been an email that's been negative, so we oh, we we have the best listeners ever because they're cool to us. So thanks for being cool, guys. Yeah, that's that's pretty that's great. great. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, thanks for having us on. Yeah, it was my pleasure. More fun and less painful than I thought. It was. Oh, it was like good. Yeah. About as fun and is going to be twice as embarrassing when I listen to this yeah. recording. It's always very painful to hear yourself back on, on recording and after 20 episodes I'm now just starting to kind of be okay with it. Like yeah. I've gotten used to it enough when I re-edit everything every time. But yeah, it's it's a hurdle. It's a massive hurdle to get yeah. over for sure. I may never listen to this episode. That's yeah, okay. I might just trust the judgment that you put it out there and you treated didn't, us didn't well. Mix didn't all include the bits around. Yeah. <laughs> Said, make sure you edit that part out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, All right, thanks guys. For us. Thanks again. Yeah, thank it's been you. a blast. <laughs>